Good morning, everybody. I hope you guys are having a great weekend. We had a terrific night last night with the couples night, and I just want to thank um, Denise and Lance, and if you get a chance to see them, tell them what a great job they did, and their whole team, everybody did a terrific job, and uh, just a wonderful evening, and I also need to thank our deacons who came in early this morning and set up all of our chairs back in the way they needed. In fact, they set them up better than they were before the event, so thank you guys, awesome, great team, what a wonderful team we have, and thanks to our praise team, what a wonderful time of praise and worship we had this morning. Um, you know, there is a legend in Judaism about a man named Nation. That's N-A-H-S-H-O-N. Now, he only got one begat in the Bible, right? Only one. But that's, that's more than we had, right? Um, but he is the great, great, great grandfather of King David. He disappears almost as soon as he makes his debut in the Bible, but Nation was credited with saving the nation of Israel by one act of courage. Now, after the exodus out of Egypt, the Israelites were trapped between what we might call a rock and a hard place. There was the Egyptian army coming full speed ahead from behind, and there was the Red Sea in front of them. No one knew what to do. There was no way out. That's when God issues this command. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. <laughs> now the problem is, there was no way forward. But according to rabbinic tradition, that's when the leader of the tribe of Judah stepped up and he stepped into the Red Sea. Nation waded into the water. Nation waded into the Red Sea up to his neck deep, right up to his nostrils. And that's when and where, according to the rabbinic tradition, the Red Sea splits in half. Now, God is the one who made the sidewalk through the sea, right? But it was nation who made the miracle possible because he walked in obedience to God. By wading into that water, in Psalm 114, we read, the sea saw him and fled. You know, there's an old axiom, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. We've, we've all heard that before. But here's one more along the same lines. If you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, wade into the water. Most of us spend large amounts of our lives waiting for God to split the Red Sea. God do some miracle. God do something. But maybe, just maybe, God is waiting for you to get your feet wet. Maybe, just maybe, God is waiting for you and me to wade into the water. And here's what I think we can know for sure. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. You have to take a calculated risk. You have to make a defining decision. 
You have to take a flying leap of faith. That's what it takes for God to make a sidewalk through the sea. But you have to kiss the wave. The first step is always the hardest step. Why? Because you have to overcome uh, the law of inertia by exercising some initiative. It's not easy. We're having to overcome our fear by exercising our faith. And you have to take the first step before God is going to reveal the second step. He's already told us, I'm with you. I will take you. But we have to take that step. And that's what, according to that tradition, nation did. You have to wade into the water, if necessary, right up to your nostrils. Now today we are continuing this series called Win the Day, based on the biblical principles that Mark Batterson brought out in this book by the same name. And I would encourage you to get this book if you can um, and read along these seven daily habits that we're going to be going over. Uh, today's the second week. we got five more to go. But let's win the day, not focusing on our past or fretting about our future, but just win the day. That's all God is calling us to do. And our big idea for the day is this. You have to take the first step of faith before God is going to reveal the second step. And if you have your Bibles, you can sort of go to Exodus 14, or you can just watch along on the screen behind me. But let's sort of set the stage for what's going to happen. The Israelites, as we know, have been let go by Pharaoh, right? All of the firstborn in Egypt were killed Pharaoh says, get out of here. But then he has a change of heart. Now he's just angry. So he sends his powerful army, probably at that time the most powerful army in all of the world, and they are charging down behind the Israelites. Now the Israelites, are that's women and children and families. They're not an army. And so... They see the, the dust from the army of Egypt coming after them and in front of them the Red Sea. It seemed like a no-win situation. Death by sword or death by drowning. Now, put yourself in their sandals for a second, right? Imagine the sound of those horses and chariots coming behind you. The entire Egyptian army coming at full throttle. This is what we might call fight or flight, right? It says the people panicked. I think we would be a little panicked too. But this is also when leaders lead. This is when the Spirit-led leaders stay calm and they carry on. This is when spirit led leaders step up and they step in. That's who Moses is. And that's what Moses does in verse 13 of Exodus 14. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So, as we get into this message today, there are three simple thoughts 
as we kiss the wave. Face your fear, take your stand, and hold your peace. Charles Spurgeon is the one who once said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Think about that. What a great way of thinking about life. Those waves that come pounding in on us, they can be fierce. They can be scary. And sometimes we curse the wave. But once you realize that what that wave is causing you to do is to fall upon the rock of ages, the Savior of your soul, the, the gracious and merciful God, you can kiss that wave. But to do that, you must face your fear. If you've got the Egyptian army coming at full speed, <laughs> I mean, that's a scary thing. And yet Moses says to them, don't be afraid. Fear not. I'd say that's a little easier said than done. Has anybody ever said that to you? And you were like, you're crazy. I'm going to be afraid, you know. But courage is not the absence of fear. Fear is a prerequisite. The question is, how do you manage your fear in moments like that? According to psychologists, we're only born with two fears. Now, this is interesting. I'm sure that they've been able to talk to many infants who were able to explain to them, goo goo ga ga boo boo boo, okay? But one fear that we are all born with, apparently, is the fear of falling. How many of you still have the fear of falling? Any? Okay. Uh, the other fear is the fear of loud noises. Every other fear, according to the psychologist, is learned which means every other fear can be unlearned. Faith is a process of unlearning fear. Think about it. How do we do that? Well, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, we read the words, perfect love casts out all fear. If you fear God, which again, according to Scripture, is the beginning of wisdom, and it means to hold God in the highest esteem, to revere God above all else. If you fear God, friends, we don't have to fear anything else. If we put our fear in the right place, the fear of God is the cure for every other fear. Now, let, let's think this a little bit deeper. The cure for the fear of failure is not success. Now, we're sort of trained to think that way. But the cure for our fear of failure is actually failure. In small enough doses that you can begin to build up an immunity to it. You need to identify the type of fear you're dealing with. Is it a fear of failure? A fear of rejection, a fear of intimacy, a fear of the future, a fear of certain social situations. I mean, you have to identify it. And then you don't want to avoid it. You actually expose yourself to it in small enough ways that, again, you build up a little bit of immunity to it. 
You wade into the water like nations. Now, years ago, when, uh, when I was just a teenager, I was asked to speak at a youth convention. And, and I think there was like five or six teenagers that were asked to do just a little two or three minute uh, speech. And I had my notes on a little card and um, I got up and I, I did that and, and I totally bungled it, totally bungled it. And I told myself, I mean, it was embarrassing. I was just so embarrassed. I said, I will never stand up in front of people again to speak. <laughs> Thanks, God, for that one. He made, that was a joke, I think, God played on me right there. But I had to get up and do it again and do it again. And today I'm able to do that not because I didn't quit. Mark Batterson writes, nine times out of ten, failure is poorly managed success, and success is well-managed failure. For some of us, one of the greatest things that could happen to us is for the thing we fear to actually happen because it will set you free. So let's add one more thing to the mix. We here are a community of faith. We, we eat faith for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? We dream big, we pray hard, we think long, we go after God-sized goals, we elevate and activate each other's faith, and, and it creates a barrier against fear. One final thought on facing your fear. All of us want a miracle. None of us wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle, right? But you can't have one without the other. You have to be in one of those, you know, uh, between a rock and a hard place kind of place when you're asking God to step in. And here's the good news. When you experience a setback, you don't take a step back because God is already preparing your comeback. What does God say to Moses in Exodus 14.4? The New Living Translation says, I have planned this in order to display my glory. Hmm. God's going to put His glory on display one way or another. And I would imagine when those people saw that water going like this, and that highway through the Red Sea, that was God's glory on display. But it never would have happened unless they went forward. Now, the second thing we need to do when kissing the wave is to stand your ground. Now, the New Living Translation says, stand still, uh, as in be still and know that I am God. The NIV says, stand firm. As in, having done all to stand, stand firm. The Amplified Version says, take your stand. And the Good News Translation says, stand your ground. Whichever way you slice it, whichever translation you like, what is the hardest thing to do with the Egyptian army coming down your back? Full speed. How many of you saw the movie Ford versus Ferrari? Anybody here see that movie? There was a few of you that did. 
There's a scene in that where uh, Matt Damon, playing the character of Carol Shelby, the race car driver, says there's a point at 7,000 RPMs where everything fades. The machine becomes weightless. It just disappears. All that's left is a body moving through space and time, 7,000 RPMs. That's where you meet it. And that's where you feel it. It creeps up on you. And it asks you a question. The only question that really matters, who are you? (laughs) I have an idea that as Moses was facing this dilemma, the Egyptian army crashing down from behind, the Red Sea in front, that his mind is spinning at 7,000 RPMs. Where do we go? What do we do? I wonder if he had a flashback to that burning bush moment. You know, when, when God spoke to him through the burning bush. And he asked God this question, Who am I that you're asking me? I'm a nobody. And I, I wonder if he thought back to that moment. You know, I love the way God answers that question that Moses had at the burning bush. Because the way God answered it is not necessarily to tell Moses who he was, but God tells Moses who God is. And God says to Moses, I am with you. That's all we need to know. So it's 7,000 RPMs and Moses says, stand still. (laughs) Don't be afraid, stand still. These are the moments when we discover who we are and who God is. And this may seem so counterintuitive that it sort of ranks up there with something that General Anthony McAuliffe said to the American troops when they were surrounded by the enemy at the Battle of the Bulge. Some of you historians, some of you have read the story. But he said to his men, Men, we have the greatest opportunity ever afforded an army. We can attack in any direction. (laughs) That is flipping the script. That is kissing that wave. In crisis situations, We should go back to ground zero. We need to go back to the foot of the cross. We must make a beeline for the empty tomb. We must go back to the promises that we can stand on. He who began a good work in us is going to carry it out to completion. Amen? Amen. He is watching over His Word to perform it. He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. We sing songs like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Or, Jesus Loves Me. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. We need to go back to the daily spiritual disciplines because the only ceiling on our intimacy with God and our impact on the world around us is daily spiritual disciplines. 
You know, if I stand on God's Word, we will stay grounded. That's how you stay, stand your ground when, you know, there are forces that you're afraid of and, and you want to run, you want to hide, but you stand, you stand your ground, you fight one more round. It's like a core value that we need to develop. If we stay humble and stay hungry, there is nothing God cannot do in you or through you. That's how we stay in our lane. That's how we stay the course. The most underestimated kind of power is staying power. When everything says run, I stand my ground. It's long obedience in the same direction. It's the cumulative effect of faith, hope, and love. It's the compound interest of prayer and fasting. Back in November of 1517, and I think there's probably only a couple of people here that remember that, but uh, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the doors of the castle church. When he was told to recant these words, Martin Luther said, My conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. And he was put to death and executed for his faith. It takes a lot of moral courage to take your stand in situations like that. And I would say we need that kind of moral courage, especially in this cultural moment we find ourselves in today. How do you kiss the wave? You know, you ground yourself in the Word of God. You anchor yourself in the promises of God. But you also embrace the pain and the suffering. And I know that's hard. But we realize that when we do that, we fall upon the King of Kings, the Rock of Ages. Finally, you have to hold your peace. Now, there is an ancient tradition practiced in Orthodox churches called Pass the Peace. It actually traces back to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and realize that uh, you and someone else are at odds, you need to leave your gift there, and then you need to go and you need to be reconciled and then come back and offer your gift. I don't see that practiced many times today. But that's how we can counteract a lot of racial tension and political polarization that we have in our culture today. Let's just go and find a way to reconcile if we can. You interrupt the pattern. You do what Jesus said. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. You bless those who curse you. This again is against the grain. It's not what we naturally do. But if we will take that step that God is saying to take, He will show us the next step.
When we pass the peace, it's sort of like heaven is invading the earth. But, but let's back up a step. It's really hard to pass the peace if you don't learn how to hold your peace. Let's be honest, a lot of people have lost their peace. And I, and I think probably their minds, right? One-third of Americans struggle with anxiety or depression. How, how do we get it back? How do, we, how do you hold your peace when it seems like the world is spinning out of control, when the train is running off the tracks? As those who follow the Prince of Peace, what do we need to do? We need to stay calm. And we need to carry on. We are the people who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God, the creator of mankind. We, we don't take offense. We play offense. We don't react. We proact. As grace givers and peacemakers, that's what God has called us to do. And when we do, we shift the atmosphere. How do you hold your peace? One way you do it is by owning your past. If you don't own the past, there's a saying, the past is going to own you. You can't change the past. But you know what we can do with the past? We can learn from the past. And then we can bury that past six feet deep. Now, I don't know what you need to bury. But maybe it's time to kiss the wave. Whatever that wave is that's coming at you. Whatever that struggle, whatever that trial, whatever it is that you're facing, you kiss that wave and you fall upon the rock of ages. Back in 2006, um, Dennis Crehan and myself and a friend, Keith Wood, traveled over to Africa. Yes, we went to Africa. Now, I've shared this story before, but there's a lot of new people that are here that haven't heard it before, so uh, I, I think it's a good story to end our message on today. We traveled over to Ghana, and while we were there, we took a little trip, <laughs> a little trip, uh, to the Mole Game Reserve. We stayed in this place, I, they called it a motel, okay? <laughs> motel 6 would be a, a, a much higher upgrade on this motel. I think there were a lot of creatures that lived in this motel. And, and the water pressure from the showers was like drip, drip, drip. In fact, there was an African rainstorm that uh, happened while we were there. And the missionary that we were with went out and took a shower in the rainstorm because <laughs> there was more water pressure from the heavens than there was from the pipes. But... Um, Maybe it's a little less comfortable than a Motel 6. I don't know. But um, it, it was sort of overlooking this valley. Um, now, we were inside the reserve. So there are fences on the, on the perimeter of the reserve, but there are no fences on the inside of the reserve. So you've got monkeys and little warthog families, you know, running through. And elephants would come. There was one elephant they called Cher Ami, dear friend. She would walk up to the huts of the people that worked there, and she would reach her 
uh, trunk in, and she would grab their food <laughs> and take it out. That's, that was African fast food right there for her. But there weren't any lions or tigers or real aggressive animals there. But the elephants, now they can be aggressive if they think you could harm their little, what is it, a cub? What do you call an elephant, baby? Calf. Yes, 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 thank you. Now, again, we're up on this ridge and we're overlooking 500 miles of open African jungle. And you can see down below a watering hole where every day the elephant herd would come to, you know, get in and, you know, swim around in the water, cool off from the heat of the day. Probably about 20 elephants would go down there. So a plan was made that we would go on a little safari, right? A walking safari, um, not, a, not a hunting safari, but we would go and just observe. So we had a God named Christian. That was a good sign, right, Dennis? I mean, his name is Christian, so hey, we're, we're in good stead here. He had worked at that reserve for nine years, and he was the only one carrying a weapon. He had a high-powered rifle with him. Somebody asked him if he had ever shot that weapon, and he said, no, in nine years of serving, I have never fired my weapon. Now, I don't know how that would make you feel, but I think for Dennis and myself and Keith, we were sort of a little concerned now because we want to make sure he can hit what he's aiming at if something's coming, right? Now, along with us, and they called us Brunies, you know, that's, I guess, white person or American or whatever. We're the Brunies, but we had a couple of African friends, Caleb and KK, and um, we were thinking... Maybe erroneously, but we were thinking they were there to protect us. Like they were going to make sure, you know, Brunies, they, they don't know. This is Africa. They don't know what they're doing. So we're, we'll be there and make sure they don't mess something up. So again, we go down walking in this safari, five of us and our guide, Christian. Now, again, remember, there's no fences, nothing between us. And these wild animals, it was a seven-mile trek. Now, it was pretty obvious by looking at Keith and Dennis and I that we had not done many seven-mile treks. <laughs> the God was hoping to bring us uh, up behind the herd of the elephants so that we could get a good look at them. Now, he did give us a warning. He said, if the elephant turns and looks at you and he starts flapping his ears at you, that's the elephant warning you, hey, buddy, you're too close, back up. We didn't have any problem backing up. We were hoping, and I think I speak for Dennis and, and myself at least, we were hoping just to be invisible, like flies on the wall, you know, just to see. Our goal was to be as stealthy as ninjas, creeping up behind those elephants. You know, so we could see the elephants, but they wouldn't feel threatened by us. And, you know, we don't, we don't want an elephant charging at us. But all of a sudden, our God, Christian, began snapping his fingers. I don't know how he did it, but it sounded like little firecrackers going off every time he would snap his fingers. 
And we're looking at him like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, then, and, and I've got a picture here I want to show you. I, right here. That's Christian. He picks up this stick. And he starts cracking the trees as we go. We're, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? What are you doing? And he's cracking the trees. And when we asked him, what is he doing? He says, I'm trying to get their attention. We said, it's fine. You know, we are good if they don't see us. We're good just having, we're observing here. We don't want them to see us. And then there's this one that turned and he looked right at us. And you know what he did? He started flapping the mirrors. And we asked Christian, Christian, what are we going to do if that elephant charges at us? And he said, well, he said, you have one of two options. He said, you can run, but the elephant will catch you. <laughs> or he said, you can do what I do. And, and I'm not, I'm, I am not lying to you. He did exactly this. Stand with courage. <laughs> now, Keith and Dennis and I, we looked at each other. <laughs> And then we looked around for our Ghanaian friends who were supposed to be there to protect us. They're hiding a hundred feet behind us, behind trees. We asked Christian, what are we supposed to do? And he sort of smiled and he said, well, you really only have one choice. Because <laughs> you're never going to outrun the elephant. Now, I've always thought about what Christian said that day. And there are times we really need to stand with courage. We need to face that problem. We need to face our fear. We need to stand with courage and hold on to peace. And don't panic, but trust our God. And, and our God was a good God. Christian was a great God. But God is our God. And we need to trust Him and kiss that way. Remember, you have to take the first step of faith before God reveals that second step. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come to you today thankful that you are our God. You have shown us time and time and time again that we are not alone in this, that we don't have to just drop our weapons and run in fear and panic, but that we can stand firm. You have given us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And just as you did for the, Egypt, for the Israelites, when you parted that sea and they walked across on dry ground, Father, you can do the same thing for us. And I pray that whoever's here that needs to experience that or needed to hear this message today, that they would just fully trust in you and that they would obey you, that they would go forward, take that step, and then you will reveal the next step. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.